Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. How, how are we doing, Canton Church? We doing good? You look good. Uh, I was here um, Nick's first Sunday, so what was that, a couple months ago? I was here in July, and uh, man, just love Canton Church, love what God is doing here. Uh, I bring a big hello from Hope City Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, just really pumped and honored to be here, excited to be here, and um, you know, I love so many things about your church. I love your team. You're blessed to have an incredible pastoral staff team, and um, and I, I don't know if you guys have heard the story. You probably have. Jeremy's probably told you the story about uh, the Matt and Trevor when they were taking their, their ministerial uh, exam test. You probably heard this story. I don't know if you've told this yet or not, but um, it's just one of the things I love about Trevor and Matt and how that they are willing to help each other out. They were taking their test, to, to the ministerial exam test, and uh, were just very nervous because they knew if they failed the test that they wouldn't be able to be on the staff. And, and so it was a fill-in-the-blank test, and so they looked down, and the question was, Old McDonald had a fill-in-the-blank. And Matt is panicking because he knows he should know it, but he's not sure exactly what the answer is. And so he looks over at Trevor, making sure that the exam person's not watching. And he's like, Trevor, what is the answer to number two? What did old McDonald have? And Trevor's like, Matt, you dummy, old McDonald had a farm. He's like, oh, that's right, that's right. And so he, he t- turns and grabs his pencil, and he, and he can't remember, like, how do you spell farm? And, he, and he, so he looks back at Trevor, and he says, Trevor, how do you spell farm? And Trevor's like, Matt, you are so stupid. E-I-E-I-O. That's the best I got today. So that's the best I got. No, but I do love your team, and I love my brother. I love your pastors, Pastor Jeremy and Corey. Uh, they love you guys so much. And uh, I just love his pastoral heart and the way he cares about you and loves on you and leads you. And so you are just really blessed. I, I hope you don't take it for granted because what God's doing at Canton Church is not a normal thing, and so don't ever take it for granted, and make sure you love on your staff, and hug on them, and tell them how awesome that they are, okay? Uh, You know, there's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect pastor. You guys get pretty close, but there's no such thing as a perfect church, and I was reading the other day, and actually came across uh, a list of, these are actual announcements from church bulletins. Actually, you guys have bulletins or kind of a form of bulletins. If you go back, if you're, if you're kind of an old school church, you, you remember the, the thick bulletins that we used to have. And these are actual church announcements from church bulletins. And uh, I think you're going to like these. Let's look at that first one. Uh, remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and the community. I think that's what they were going for. For those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. I'm sure that, I think the youth pastor probably typed these out. Uh, Thursday night potluck supper, prayer and medication to follow. I think they meant meditation, I'm not sure. Uh, at the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to our choir <laughs> practice. This is awful. I probably shouldn't say this. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Our youth basketball team is back in action Wednesday at 8 p.m. in the Recreation Hall. Come and watch us kill Christ the 
King. Yes. Let's keep moving on. Um, Scouts are saving aluminum cans, bottles, and other items to be recycled. Proceeds will be used to cripple children. The pastor would appreciate it if the ladies of the congregation would lend him their electric girdles for the pancake breakfast next Sunday morning. That's going to be interesting. This evening at 7 p.m., there will be a hymn sing in the park across from the church. Bring a blanket and come prepared to sin. (laughs) That sounds like a lot of youth lock-ins I used to run as a youth pastor. And last but not least, Weight Watchers will meet at 7 p.m. at First Presbyterian Church. Please use large double door at the side entrance. Well, I want to talk to you today about feeling frustrated. Anybody in the room ever felt frustrated before? Let me see your hand if you've ever felt frustrated. Anybody have children? Then you have obviously felt frustrated before, but I specifically want to talk today about the frustration of feeling, feeling stuck, the frustration of not making progress, feeling like you should be farther along in your life than you are, feeling like things should be different in your life than they are. In 1981, Howard Schultz was trying to raise $3.8 million to purchase the Starbucks franchise. How many people are thankful that God gave us Starbucks? Anybody in the room, praise the Lord for Starbucks. And Howard Schultz was trying to raise $3.8 million to purchase the Starbucks franchise, which at the time consisted of just three stores that only sold coffee beans, not coffee drinks. And so with no personal capital, Schultz attempted to raise 100% of the investment by pitching business plans to investors that would essentially change the focus of Starbucks from the coffee bean to the coffee drink. And when it was all said and done on his business plan, it would include 100 Starbucks stores. And after several weeks of of failed pitches to, to investors, Schultz was feeling depressed, he was feeling defeated, felt like that he had dreamed too big. And so he wanted to write down and print out a new business plan, but he was so broke that he couldn't afford to print out any new business plans. So he found a Sharpie marker, and on all of his business plans, he scratched out 100 stores, and he wrote in 75 stores. And today, Starbucks has 21,366 stores and counting including locations in Asia, Europe, North, and South America. And when Schultz was asked if he ever imagined that Starbucks would be as successful as it is, he just laughs because he remembers when he didn't have enough money to print new business plans when he believed that he had dreamed excessively. I love that phrase, dreamed excessively. I love dreams, I love inspiration, I love getting those pictures in your mind of what could be, what the future could be, but sometimes when the reality of life where we are right now doesn't match up to the dreams that we saw in our head, we can feel like we've dreamed excessively. I know I've struggled with that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assume that you have as well, that life is not going like you thought it would go. 
marriage isn't going like you thought it would go. The weight loss plan is not going how you thought it would go. Kicking the addiction hasn't thought like you, like, like you thought it would, it would go. Figuring out exactly when you were going to get pregnant to start your family hasn't gone exactly like you thought it was going to go. And in your mind, you begin to think, maybe I dreamed excessively. Maybe it's not going to be what I thought it would be. And you know, there's nothing more frustrating than feeling like you should be able to do something. There's nothing more frustrating than feeling like that you should be able to accomplish something. That, that there's no, in your mind, there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to be farther, have accomplished more. It's frustrating. In 2013, a 30-year-old man named Henry Gribbum from Epson, New Hampshire, filed a police report after claiming that he lost over $2,600 on the carnival game, Tubs of Fun. This is a true story. This is a true story. Tubs of Fun cost $5 for two balls. You've probably seen this. And the player has to throw the plastic balls into the tilted plastic bucket. And Henry's goal was to win an Xbox Connect for his kids. But after spending $300 on the game without success, he went home to get another $2,300. That was all the money that he had. He didn't win. He returned to the carnival the next day to complain, and the game operator gave him $600 back and a large stuffed banana with a hat and dreadlocks. I actually brought a picture with me. This is Henry. This is, this is Henry right here. He got his stuffed banana with dreadlocks, and it can be frustrating. It can be so frustrating to feel like we should be able to accomplish something. We should be able to do it. We should be farther than we are, doing more than we're doing, making more money than we're making, having more faith than we currently have, praying more than we're praying, spending more time with God than we're spending. And the frustration of failure can convince you that things will never change. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been at a place of failure or, or frustration and, and you are so sure that things are never going to change? You ever been addicted to something and you've convinced yourself you'll never be able to not be addicted? You ever had a secret sin in your life and you've convinced yourself that you'll never be able to be free from that? Marriage isn't going well and so you've convinced yourself it will never be better. It's never going to be better. Because when we get frustrated... About failure, we're convinced it'll never change, it'll never get any better, but that's not true. Today, what I want to do is I want to look, look at a story in the Bible. Uh, in Genesis 13, if you've got a, a Bible or, or a phone you use, you can flip over there. If not, it'll be on the screen. About a man named Abraham. Uh, actually, he was called Abram at the time. You're probably familiar with him. And Abraham was a guy who I'm convinced that he, he believed that he had dreamed excessively. I'm convinced of it. Because God had given Abraham an incredible dream that was not playing out like he thought it would play out. But Abraham made a conscious decision to keep believing even when his reality didn't match up with his faith. So we're gonna read some of this story today. Genesis chapter 13, I'm gonna start with verse one. 
Here's what it says. It says, so Abraham left Egypt and traveled north into Negev along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. And from the Negev, they continued traveling by stages, which this is not the point of the message, but I think it's important to point out that God always works in stages. That when he gives us a dream and we're moving towards that dream, it never goes as fast as we think it's going to go. It seems to be that God always works in stages. And so Abraham continued traveling by stages towards Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai. And if you happen to have one of those old-fashioned Bibles that has paper in it, make a mark right here. It says, where they had camped before. Verse 4, this was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshiped the Lord again. This is one of those verses in the Bible that doesn't really mean much without some context. It's a nice little story, but when you can understand the context of the story, it makes what we just read in Genesis 13, 1 through 4, uh, come to life and mean a little more to where we are in our lives today. So let me just give you a little bit of context, a little history lesson. Uh, Abram, or Abraham, uh, was traveling with his father when they decided they were headed towards the promised land, and his father and the family stopped, and so for the next 80 years, Abraham was raised in a house that felt like failure because they stopped halfway. He ends up getting married, and God says to him, I want you to pack up and head out because I'm going to make you into a great nation. He gave him an incredible promise, and it's back one chapter in Genesis 12, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. It says, the Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. That's not like figurative speech, okay? God is literally saying, out of Abraham, Abraham, I am going to make you like a patriarch. I'm going to make you the leader, the namesake of a great nation, literally, multiplied millions of people, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. So God says to Abraham, here's the promise, here's the dream, here's what you're going to think about when you go to bed at night, and here's what you're going to think about when you wake up in the morning. You're going to be a great nation. You're going to be famous. You're going to be a blessing to others. You're going to be rich. Like your life is going to be incredible. And so Abraham, probably like you and me, probably made the assumption that since God had spoken or given a dream to him in his heart or in his mind, he probably felt like this was going to happen by the end of the year. You ever had that happen before? It's like dream expectancy disorder, which I made up as a phrase, but it's kind of a real thing. Well, I have a dream. It seems to be a win-win for everybody. And God seems to like the idea. So this will probably happen by the end of the semester. It's probably what Abraham thought. But the very next story in Genesis chapter 12 is Abraham and his wife going to Egypt. 
And they, they come up with this really strange plan because his wife is attractive to say that they're brother and sister, and then it goes really bad. And then Abraham gets busted for lying, and they kick him out. Genesis 12, 20, Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them, and he sent Abraham out of the country along with his wife and all his possessions. Abraham is literally taking a walk of shame out of Egypt. God said, Abraham, you're going to be a great nation. You're going to be famous. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be a blessing to others. And Abraham's like, let's go. Let's do this. And the first thing he tries fails miserably. They could have killed him, but they let him go. And so he, he literally gets kicked out of town. If we want to apply this to where you are and where you live, I want you to imagine God giving the dream. You're going to be the CEO of the company. And the next day you show up, they have your things packed in a box and security guards are walking you out of the door. Maybe the dream that God gives you is you're going to be a mom and you're going to have lots of kids and have a home full of children. And the very next week when you go to the doctor, he says to you, you'll never be able to have children. That's what Abraham is facing here. God says, you're going to be great. Abraham says, hey, babe, I'm going to be great. And they get kicked out of Egypt. So Abraham has obeyed God. He's heard God. He's obeyed God. And he fails. And he is now away from home, 0 for 1, not knowing what to do. And then we come to Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. So Abraham left Egypt. He didn't just leave Egypt. He got escorted out of Egypt. And he traveled north to Negev, along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. And from Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel. And they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before I can't help but read those words where they had camped before and try to imagine what Abraham is feeling that night when he lays down to sleep. He had been here before. He never thought he would come back here. He never thought he would come back to this place. This is where he was when he was getting started. This is where he was when the dream popped into his head. He was never going to come back here because his plans were for greatness, fame, nations, and he's laying in his tent, and he's been here before. He, he, he's been here before. He built an altar here. But there's something really interesting about momentum, right? That you can be in the same place, doing the same things, but depending on where the momentum is, it can feel completely different. It's like, it's like weighing 200 pounds on a scale. If you're on your way up, it's depressing. But if you're on your way down, it's exciting, right? It's like having a thousand dollars in the bank. If it's all you've got left, you're panicking. But if you've saved a thousand, you're high-fiving people. Same number, momentum makes all the difference. So I guarantee you when Abraham was sleeping between Bethel and Ai the first time, he can't even hardly sleep. He's so giddy. He's so excited. His wife's saying, will you turn out the light? He's like, I can't turn out the light. I'm so excited about what's happening. God's going to say, God said, we're going to be a nation. We're going to be famous. We're going to, like, can you believe what's going to happen? I can't even, I don't even know what's going to happen. This is, I'm so excited. Now, sleeping between Bethel and Ai, he can't sleep again. It's not because he's getting excited. It's because he's pretty convinced he dreamed excessively. Because he's convinced he's a failure. 
It's because he's convinced he did not hear God like he thought he heard God. And he's already wrote the letter back to dad saying, dad, you're never going to see me again because I'm going to be famous. Now he's saying, what am I going to say to dad? Maybe he's thinking to himself, I'm just like my father. Maybe he's thinking to himself, I'm going to end up just like he did, and I swore I would never be him and be a failure like he was. Same place, completely different mindset. And so maybe you find yourself at that place today. Maybe you would say, Jason, I am nowhere near where I thought I would be. I thought I would be so much more successful by now. I thought I would own my own company by now. I thought I would be a mom by now. I thought I would be married by now. I thought I would have lost the weight by now. I thought we would be out of debt by now. I thought God would have answered my prayer by now. I thought I would be healed by now. I thought my kids would have got over the learning challenges by now or the behavioral difficulties by now. I thought we would have moved out of that house by now. Maybe you find yourself in that place where you've been a hundred times before. And you say, Jason, I spent most of my life here. I don't know much different than what I'm experiencing right now because it seems like it's never going to change for the few moments I have left today. I I just want to give you three thoughts. They're not the most profound thoughts in the world. I'm just going to be honest with you, but I believe that they're there's, there's some encouragement in them for those of us in the room who are frustrated by failure, discontent by everything that hasn't happened in our life yet. So maybe you want to write these down or type these in your phone. Here's the first thought I have when I read about Abraham laying in that tent between Bethel and Ai. The first thought is that the journey is more important than the destination. Cliche, I know, but so true. It's cliche for a reason, because it's true, that the journey is more important than the destination, that God is a God of the journey, that God is not that concerned about your final destination. I don't mean heaven or hell. That's not what I'm saying. But he's not that concerned about, like, the end goal. He's much more concerned about what he's doing in your life, the stages that you are going through. Can, can I just be honest with you? I, we've all, I mean, we've all felt this before. We can all relate to this. Once you get to where you're trying to get to, you'll enjoy it for a little while, but then you'll set your sights on something else. Like none of us in the room, I, I remember when Andrea and I were, um, we had been married like a year and we were living on love and, and SpaghettiOs and, uh, and we're driving in the car one day in the 1992 Jeep Cherokee Grand. Uh, with no air condition, and um, she says to me, she says, Jason, when, like, when we make it, like, I mean, when we really, like, we're, we're making real good money, and, and, like, we're successful, like, we've really, like, we've done it, we've accomplished it, what's that one thing that you'll buy? Like, what is that purchase that you want to make? I said, that's, that's a no-brainer, big screen TV. We were, we were 20, uh, 20 years old at the time. And in my mind, I thought, if we ever had enough money to buy a big screen TV, Walmart was selling them for $230 this weekend. <laughs> like a 70-inch virtual reality, like you go in the TV, it was $200. And, um, but in my mind, I thought, if we could ever, I said, what about you? She said, just my own bathroom. I just want my own bathroom. 
We accomplished our life goals by 24. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm serious. She had her bathroom and I had my TV. And my point is, like, that's how we do in life. That's the goals that we set. Like, that's the, man, if I could ever just get that office. It, it, we think if I could ever just have a child, if I could ever just get $1,000 in the bank, we think, like, the finish line will make us feel complete. And it does for, like, a day. Because it's never about the destination. It, it's always been about the journey. So I want to encourage you today, if you're not anywhere near your final destination, but you're still trying, you're still working, you're still showing up, you're still trying to listen to the voice of God, you're still dreaming, and you're doing it. You're doing it. You're right where God wants you to be. You're not a failure. Every season in your life won't be a growth season externally, but if you will let it, it can be a growth season internally. Every season in your life is not going to be a growth season externally. But if you'll let it, it can always be a growth season internally. So the journey is more important than the destination. Second thought, I think, when I think about Abraham laying in that tent between Bethel and Ai, is that God loves who you are now, what you, not what you can become. I'm 33 years old, and I'm pretty much to the point where I just hate the word potential because I've been told my whole life how much of it I have, and it just makes me feel like a failure when I'm not accomplishing more every day. And sometimes I can fall into the trap of thinking that God, God loves me now, but man, he's really gonna love me when I finally become who I'm supposed to become. That's not, that's not how it works with God. If you're a dad in the room or you're a parent in the room, you know the feeling like I've got an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a six-month-old. <laughs> I don't really start counting until they get to the year. but, um, And I don't look at them and say, I mean, I like them all right. But man, when they graduate, then I'll really love them. No one does that. A parent would never do that. I, I swear every stage is my favorite stage. You ever been there? It's like, man, when they're two, that's my favorite. When they're four, no, when they're six, when they're eight. Every stage is my favorite stage. And that's the way God feels about you. And so stop trying to become the person that God approves of. You know, we sang that song today, He Loves Us, Oh How He Loves Us. I love that song. It's a great song. But you know what God's really been kind of challenging me lately in my life, and I've been sharing this with Andrea, is I've been thinking a lot about how God feels about me, and I, I think I'm more excited about the fact that God likes me more than he loves me. And maybe it's because I like less people than I love. I don't know. Maybe that's just a me thing. I don't know. But there's a lot of people who love me, and it feels like they kind of have to. But God likes me. He wants to hang out with me, spend time with me. He likes you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. Like, that has the ability to change your life. That, that sometimes we feel like God has to love us. Well, you know, I died for you, so I'm not going to stop loving you. No, no, no. He likes you. And he likes you just like you are right now. Just like you are right now. You say, well, Jason, how could he like me? I mean, I've got, 
I'm not saying that he doesn't have bigger plans for your life, but he doesn't not like you now or not love you now thinking about what you could become. We don't change for God to love us. We change because we know he loves us. Let me say that one more time. We don't change so God will love us. We change once we realize he loves us. We live like someone who doesn't have to search anymore. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, Jason, I'm so far from where I thought I would be. And you struggle to love yourself, so you think that God struggles to love you. I just want to encourage you today that God loves you right where you are right now. Right where you are right now. And he doesn't just love you, he likes you. And you're going to get there, and his plans are not going to fall short. I don't know when, it's not a matter of, of if, it's just a matter of when. But even when you get there, his feelings about you will not have changed. He still loves you. Still likes you. Number three, third thought, Abraham laying in that tent. And I wish I could have told him this because I've needed people to tell me this a lot in my life. That this is not forever, it's just a season. This is not forever, it's just a, a season. Bad seasons feel like they're never going to leave. You know what I mean? Like, if you are somewhere right now in your life where it feels like you hate waking up in the morning and you're always crying and you're always depressed, you are convinced you'll never feel any other way. Like, it's never going to change. Like, it's, it, like this is how the rest of your life is going to go. But you know what? It's not. It's not. It's just a season. God promised Abraham he was going to be the father of a great nation. And, and you know when, when Abraham's laying in that tent, you know how many kids he has? Zero. He has no children. God has said, you're going to be the father of a great nation, and he has no children, and his wife is unable to bear children. That, that's, that's a, that, that feels like an excessive dream. But God knows exactly what he's doing and how you feel right now is not how you're going to feel forever. And how it is right now is not how it's going to be forever. Abraham ends up having two kids. One of them was, how it was God's way. One of them was his way. But we'll count both of them. But when he dies, he's got a kid. That's not a great nation. You could, you could fit Abraham's great nation in a sedan, right? That's not a great nation. The next generation has two kids, still in a sedan. The next generation has 12. By the time those 12 die, they've turned it into 70. And then we don't hear about Abraham's family for like another 20 chapters in the Bible. No more head counts. No more like so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. We don't know. Like all we know, Abraham dreamed excessively. Ended with 70. Until you get to Exodus 13 or 14, and it says that Moses was leading Israel out that night, and the number totaled 600,000 men plus women and children. That's Abraham's family. Now, Abraham's gone, and so that's worth asking, you know, does your dream outlive you? But that's a whole other sermon. My point I'm trying to make 
is that that night laying in that tent, Abraham is sure that he's a failure and that it's never going to work and it's never going to change and he didn't hear God and he dreamed excessively and he has no idea that about 300, 400 years later, probably 600 years later actually, there's going to be over a million people who would say, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons have fought. You know, they, they're, going to be, they, they're going to sing that song and he had no idea because he probably felt like that night that's how every night would be. But it wasn't. It wasn't forever. It was just a season. And so my favorite part of this whole story and the, the, everything to bring us to this point right here is I just want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want to press in on you just a, a moment. The last few words of Genesis chapter 13, verse 4. I said Abraham had camped there before. We talked about that. Same place he had built an altar. And the last few words, and there and there, not where he was going, but right there and there at the place of feeling like a failure, there at the place of of certainty that it would never change, right there he worshiped the Lord again. (laughs) I love that. I love that Abraham somehow, some way was able in the feelings of frustration and failure was able to worship the Lord right there in that place. Because isn't it true that we, we're so tempted to think when we get there we'll worship? When we get there we'll be thankful? When we get there, you know, God and I will celebrate together, but that's not what Abraham did. Abraham got up out of that tent. I mean, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but he got up out of that tent and he went back to that altar he built the first time when he was giddy with excitement. And this time he has more of a Psalm 51 perspective. David said in Psalm 51, the only sacrifice I can bring is a broken spirit. And I know it sounds crazy because God loves us and wants us to be awesome and prosper. And I, but there are those moments in life when God loves for us to be able to bring nothing to him but a broken spirit. Because it didn't go how we thought. It's not going how we planned. And it feels like it's never going to change. And so we show up to God at that place that we've been a hundred times before. And we say, God, the only thing I can bring to you today is a broken spirit. And Psalm 51 says broken spirit, a contrary heart, he will not turn away. So today, I would like for us to be challenged and to make a commitment together that at that place where we are right now, like the place where we are right now, the tears, the failures, the frustrations, the, 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 every, everything that goes with it, where we are right now, that we're going to worship the Lord at that place again. Again, I wrote down this prayer for me. God, I'm not where I want to be. Have you ever felt that way? God, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I would be if you hadn't saved me. So I can start right there at that place of worship. God, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I would be if you hadn't saved me. Let's, let's pray.
God, I pray for every person in the room who feels like a failure, who feels like they've dreamed excessively, who feels like it's never going to change or be any more than it is right now. God, I just pray that your spirit would rest on us. Your spirit would rest on us, God. Breathe new life into our souls. Breathe new life into our souls, God. Breathe new life. Give us the ability to worship you at that place again. You see every tear, you know every thought, every feeling in our body, in our mind, and in our heart, God. And you love us right where we are. Right where we are, God. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.